Good morning. Fred's prayer, he thanked the Lord for the work that he's doing in my heart. That's exactly what's happening. I don't share anything without it having changed me, impacted me from the inside out. And uh, this morning, what I have to share is very exciting. And what I have to share is the, the major part of the story from last night. And it is a major part of our future and our hope and what we have to look forward to. And the theme this week, the word has been captivated. The theme verse, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is a promise that God is speaking to us and saying, in me is found true joy, and there are pleasures forevermore at my right hand waiting for you. I just enjoy coming to church early. Uh, I'm an early bird. My wife and I, we have the ongoing jokes. I'm, I just like to get up early, and then by the time she gets up, I'm ready to have some big discussion about something, and she's like, can I just wake up first? A little, like, can I have some coffee first? And uh, <clears throat> I've learned to give her a little bit of time, uh, but theological discussions are not what she wants to do early morning. Uh, I just like to be at church early and hear you come in. Being in my own church, hearing the, the people come in and just hearing the church building come alive with his people. I like laughter. I like tears. I like fellowship. I like food. Just all part of being together as his body. So this morning, the title is Captivated by the Resurrection. Obviously, resurrection means something else. And four years ago, on October the 8th, I was sitting there in the evening, just another day, right? And uh, thinking about the, the day and things that happened that day, I was tired, and my phone rang. And when I pulled my phone out, I saw that it was my sister. And my sister, pretty much when she communicates with me, is mostly always by text. But she was calling me, and I, I immediately had this sort of sense of foreboding, like, Something might be wrong. And <clears throat> I answered the phone, and, and it was my sister, and she said, Dad is trapped under a machine. And I said, where? And she told me where, and I said, is he still alive? And she said, I don't know. And I immediately jumped in my truck, and I beat it down the road the five miles or so to where he was. And as I parked at the top of the hill, the fire department was already there, and I went running down the hill, and the chief of the fire department who knew me and knew my dad, and my dad was a very close friend of his, he came walking out to me, and he, he stopped me before I got over there, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, he's gone. 
in those words, he's gone. Like, it's too late. Like, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. I didn't have a chance to say, Dad, thank you for all that you did for me. I didn't have a chance to say, I love you one last time. He's gone. Those words are startling. And, and they take a while to wrap your mind around. I was just kind of in a daze for the next couple hours. And, and so I would like to read a story to you from John chapter 11. And these words were said in another form in this chapter. So turn to John chapter 11. And I would, I would like for us this morning to somewhat feel the, feel the roller coaster ride that the disciples went on. Uh, as they walked with Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So let's just stop and think for a minute, like how, how did he know? Okay, Mary didn't just pull out her phone and text Jesus and say, Come quickly, he's sick. Somebody had to run. Somebody had to run to Jesus and meet him and tell him that. And so that was his reaction. That's what he said. This sickness is not unto death. But now verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. That seems loving or not. He stayed two more days in the place where he was, and then after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. I would just like to highlight that sometimes in the middle of what seems to be that God is not in touch with your life at all, that God has somehow fallen asleep, that God is somewhere else and has no idea about the details of your life, that he absolutely does know, and he absolutely is planning to work in your life, but he is waiting for you to be at a certain place to receive that work. And so he loved them, and because he loved them, he stayed two more days. Then the disciples said to him, let's go to verse 7, Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again, his disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going there again? Like they're saying it's not safe. It's not safe to go there right now. They've tried to kill you. Why are we going there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And his disciples said, and I would understand why they said this, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, 
But they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's gone. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, and I like this, I personally like doubting Thomas. Okay, he's gotten a bad rap. But I kind of like somebody that doesn't just accept any old thing that comes along, and they think about it and consider it, and they're not going to embrace just anything. But th this is Thomas, and I kind of like the fact that he's saying, look, if, we're gonna, if you're going to go over there and be killed, let's all just go together and be killed together. Let's all just go die with him. And so that was what he said. That was his view. That's the difference. Jesus said, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. He's thinking heavenly-minded. Thomas is thinking earthly-minded. Let's all just go die together. And so when Jesus came, he found that he'd been in the tomb four days. And now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. And now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She said this statement, but I don't think she had any clue what she was saying or even fully meant that because we'll see in a little bit what else she said. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, Though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said to him, and you've heard this before, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus was about to do a great miracle. Jesus was about to do something that man hadn't seen before. And, and you would think that he would just simply say, Hey guys, like, it's okay, I'm here now. I'm going to do something great. Just get ready for it. But Jesus 
knows what's going on inside of you. He cares about what's going on inside of you. And when you're feeling deep hurt, he hurts. And I believe that Jesus wept simply by, because of seeing their grief and their hurt and their loss and what they were feeling. But I also think he knew that what was about to happen represented his own life and what he was about to go through. And so he wept, and the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them could, couldn't, and some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. In spite of the belief that she may have had in her heart, she was saying, okay, Jesus, like, I get it who you are, but this is kind of going too far. Like, he's been dead for four days. Like, it stinks in there, I'm sure. He's rotting. You're going too far. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. And I, I love that because I think the Father knew why he said it, but I think the father would have heard him and said, why, why are you saying that, Jesus? I mean, of course you, I hear you. Like, we have a relationship. We're, we are one. Of course that. But he said, this is what Jesus said, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this. I said this so that they would hear me say that. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And, when, and he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. And many of the Jews had come to Mary, had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But this is incredible. But some of them went away to the Pharisees, and told them the things Jesus did. And the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What should we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. That's incredible to me that that was where their minds were going. What they had just seen and experienced. And they're saying, look, if, if he keeps doing this stuff, people are going to believe in him. How in the world do you think he's doing this stuff? How could they not see the power of what was happening here? But I just want you to think this morning about the, the disciples and the fact that they were right there with Jesus and saw that happen and experienced it. A dead man came to life who had been in the grave four days, came to life, walked out in grave clothes. I'm not sure how that played out. But he was out of there, and he had to say, get those clothes off of him. Loose him and let him go. 
And so now I would like for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to just take a little shift here and think about a certain four-letter word as it relates to this story and where we're going to go here this morning. Just think about someone who was in an airplane flying across the ocean and the airplane went down and there was one survivor, just one, and it was you. And you end up finding a piece of driftwood or a piece of the airplane or whatever it is, and you hang on to that, and you slowly drift, and you end up on an island. And you're on this island all by yourself. And you're sitting there, and, and after days you're, you're thirsty and you're hungry, and you just want someone to rescue you. And you're sitting there leaning up against the tree, and you hear a sound and you look out across the water, and you actually see a large boat. And you jump up, and you start waving, and waving your hands, and yelling as loud as you can. But the boat just keeps on going. But in that brief little moment, you had something. You had a four-letter word. But let's say another ship comes along a couple days later, and again, you jump up, and you start waving and waving and yelling, but they just keep on going. They don't see you, and they can't hear you. Again, you in that brief little moment had that four-letter word. And if this happens over and over and over to the point where the ship comes and you just sit there and stare, you do not have that four-letter word in that moment. What is this four-letter word? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 19. Listen for the four-letter word. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. What is the four-letter word? Hope. Hope. It's been said to live without hope is to cease to live. And the one thing that the resurrection gives us is hope. Just think for a minute what it would be like for the disciples. And think with me for a minute of what it was like for the disciples. Because after they found out that the tomb was empty, they locked themselves in a room 
and were terrified. And they were fearing for their life. And you know what? I don't know what those conversations all were like. But I wonder if, if you couldn't have had, you know, James saying, I left the family business. Like, I really believe there was something here. I left the family business to follow this man, and it really felt like something was going to happen until yesterday, and then they killed him. You could have Thomas, who says, you guys know me. I mean, I, I tend to question everything, but he had me believing in him. I mean, when I saw Lazarus come out of the grave, I was like, this is real. This is the kingdom of God for sure. This is the son of God. I just knew it in my heart. And then they killed him. I, I can't believe it. You could have Mary of Bethany saying, I was so drawn to him. I felt such affection that I actually poured a year's worth salary of perfume on his feet in my worship for him. And they killed, he's dead. I can't believe it. I, I just thought... You have Peter. He's like, you guys know me. I'm all over the place with my emotions. I'm up, I'm down. But man, when he, when he looked at me and he said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. He said, I, just, I could have just burst. And I was sure it was the real deal. But they killed him. He's dead. I can't believe it. The adulterous woman. So they were going to stone me. And Jesus protected me. I'd never experienced that kind of love and protection from a man in my life. And I thought there was something special about this man. They killed him. He's gone. Yes, they were hiding because the power that they had seen, the one who said, I am the resurrection, appeared to be dead and gone. Everything was over. I, I really want you to feel this and hear it because I think there is a very faith-building element in scripture that speaks to what happens when people see and, and for real understand and see and experience Christ. And so we do have these disciples hiding and there was no saying, hey, you know what? I remember that he said, for a little while you will have trouble, but then there is going to be something great happening just like a woman in childbirth. I remember he said that. Like maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something we have to, to look forward to. There was no counting down the days. There was no, hey, I remember that he said in three days he will rise again. And there wasn't that, and we're day two. Like it's coming. Day three is coming. I mean, cannot wait. It wasn't any of that. They were hiding. They killed him, and they're going to kill us.
That was the fear that gripped their heart that was not of God. And now we have verse 20. But says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Paul wrote this. What made him so certain? What gave him such boldness? What gave him such confidence? Well, Paul saw a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. And he heard a voice speak directly to him. But we also, back in 15.3, have Jesus showing himself to the disciples. In 15.3 it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. This is the part that I really want you to hear and think about to strengthen your faith. These men who had given up the four-letter word, hope, who had locked themselves in a room, who were terrified, who were fearing for their life, who were not believing that Jesus was going to rise again. When he showed himself to them, and they began to believe, and doubting Thomas, who said, I won't believe it until I see those nail prints, and I can touch his side, I won't believe it. But he did. He was given the opportunity. And the, those same men who were terrified, who were scared, who did not believe in the resurrection, saw him, experienced him, and were filled with the Holy Spirit a few days later. They burst out of there like horses at a race. And they took the gospel far and wide. Do you know who went 2,800 miles 2,800 miles to India to spread the gospel. There is a church, there's two churches there today with his name on it. Anybody guess? Thomas, doubting Thomas, the one who said, no, I'm not believing it until I see it. And he saw it. You can't make that up. You can't make that story up. These men went far and wide, and they wrote, filled with the Holy Spirit, they wrote the New Testament. The words that we read, they wrote. We were, we were given Scripture through their belief, through their faith, through the fact that they saw Jesus risen. And so what does that mean for us today? And you know that that is an extremely faith strengthening aspect of this story for me. 
Like, I, I don't, I don't want to just sit there and, and think of it as, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I kind of believe it. I kind of don't. I, I guess I'll, yeah, I'll go with that. I'll just, I, I choose to believe it. Now, I'm a little bit like Doubting Thomas. I need some facts. And that's huge for me. That is extremely huge for me. Just as a, a testament to the resurrection. But there's also something else that's really incredible. <laughs> because the man who, wrote, who had the power to speak and raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead himself, said this, it is better for you, to his disciples, he said, it is better for you if I go so that you will receive the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and greater works than these will you do. That's powerful. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit testifies of the truth, testifies of what happened at the resurrection. And so I want to read a few verses from Romans 6 that sum up in our Christian life what this means for us. Romans 6, starting in verse 1, and I want you to realize your unity in Christ, that not only were we buried with him, but we were raised with him. Romans 6, 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, for we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who died has been freed from sin. And now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's something I want to point out. Because many people would say, so that's it, right there, salvation in a nutshell, resurrected, we live in that power, please don't tell me that the way I live my life matters, because that's legalistic, because you're trying to say that the way you live is going to help you get into heaven. No, the root of our salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the root of our salvation is in his resurrection power. And it is because of this, if we have this power within us, it changes our lives. And so we have verse 12 that says, Therefore, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are under law. You are not under law, but under grace. And scripture is full of putting off and putting on. The way that we live our lives reflects the power of God in our life. When the power of God indwells in us, it should change us. It should be evident to all around us. And Paul is, is going after the fact that you can't sit there and just continue living in sin and claim to have the power of God because those two things are not compatible with each other. And we'll look a little bit more this afternoon at how that fleshes out in the nitty-gritty of family and what did God really intend for us to experience what this means for us this morning is that we have life. We have hope. We have a future. And it means that when I stood by the grave on the day of my dad's funeral, and you sit there and you think, will I ever see him again? And you have a deep assurance and confidence and peace, and really no doubt that yes, I will see him again. We do not mourn as those who have no hope. We are the, we are the child of the one who has the resurrection power, who has given us the Holy Spirit to fill us with resurrection power. And I would like to just end this sermon with a song that speaks powerfully both in their ability to sing the song, the harmonies in the song, but the words of the song. And I'm just going to ask Kenton to play that uh, as an ending to this time, and I'll turn it over to you, Fred.